You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey y'all, I'm Mela Borowski and you're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle for our Southern Dialogue interviews. Our guest today is known as the Ghost Biker. Miranda is a paranormal investigator and a historian from Tennessee. She rides her motorcycle around the country finding historic and haunted locations, which she documents on her series, Ghost Biker Explorations. She's currently filming her fourth season. It is so exciting to have you here with us, Miranda. Thank you for having me, Mela. I appreciate this. So was there an incident that piqued your interest in haunted locations or was just this just something you've always been interested in? You know, there wasn't really anything in particular like a uh, like something that happened to me or anything like that. But when I was young, I used to spend a lot of time uh, with my grandmother who was, you know, in her early 90s at the time. And she was always telling me about really interesting stories about living in the Appalachian Mountains and different haints and stuff that she experienced growing up in folklore and, and that sort of thing. And so she, she, her and my dad instilled the importance of storytelling in me when I was real young. And so um, that was really how I got started as far as being interested in it. And so I spent as much time as I could growing up in the libraries and different historical societies learning about as much history and folklore as I could. And then as time went on, I, I start. I became a paranormal investigator 10 years ago. Okay. I, I have Appalachia in my blood as well, um, upstate Georgia. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So how did you decide to combine your love for motorcycles with your love for investigating paranormal? Well, I have been riding for about 12 years and investigating for 10, and I was approached by a guy that I worked with. He was a founder of a team, and he had um, he wanted me to look at some, some images that they had taken while they were at some of the different investigations to see if I could potentially debunk some of the images. My, my background is in photography, so he had me look to see what I could you know, debunk. And I joined the team and investigated with them for about eight years, but found while I was not investigating with them that I was going out on my own to different historic and rumored haunted haunted locations on my motorcycle. And so I would do this usually once a week or on the weekends. And I started posting some of these images that I was taking at these locations online. And uh, there was a lot of questions about them, about the history, where they haunted. And I thought, you know, why don't I document this through through video mm-hmm. and uh, be able, you know, and tell these stories, you know, uh, kind of more in depth about the different locations that I was going to. I used the, the motorcycle to really kind of center and ground myself when I go to these different locations. Mm-hmm. Really, what better way than combining those two passions Yeah, as a history lover myself, as well as a ghost tour guide and docent at the local museum, I really did enjoy hearing about the history that you are digging up about the towns and the places when I watch some of the episodes. I think that's Mm -hmm. so important. 
You know, because sometimes people go and they, they just want to talk with a ghost or they just want to have an experience and they leave out all the stories. So what makes the story so important to you? Well, for me, I feel like if you didn't have the history, then you couldn't really get a deeper meaning of the haunting that you're experiencing. When I choose the different locations that I'm going to investigate, I always choose somewhere that has an interesting enough story or a rich enough history to where if I don't get some type of activity, I'll still put it out there as an episode because that's, that history needs to be told yeah. as well as that story. So for me, the history and the travel is always first and foremost, and the paranormal is really just a lucky bonus yeah. if something happens. Great. Are female paranormal investigators rare? Uh, no, there's actually quite a few out there. The, as far as the demographic goes, there are more males than mm -hmm. there are females okay. represented. Um, when I was a member of the team, uh, I, for the longest time, I was the only female member on that team. And then later, there were uh, two other women that joined. It, it is more rare, but um, they're, they're starting to become a growing number now uh, as as the paranormal becomes more mainstream. Okay, so they're growing. There's yeah. there's more. <laughs> Absolutely. There's there's a couple of all female teams that I've collaborated with mm. on several occasions and it's it's really cool and interesting to look at some of the different activity that you get whenever you're, you know, I primarily investigate alone, but whenever I do collaborate it's interesting to see, you know, the different types of activity that you get if you're with a mixed gender team versus with an all-female team. Do you find, since you've been with uh, male and female teams, that males mm -hmm. go at it differently in investigation than, than females? There have been some cases that I've experienced that to be the case. Okay. Um, you know, they tend to be, some of them tend to be a little more aggressive mm. um, and assertive in nature. Not all, mm -hmm. but some of them that I've been with do, you know, some of them tend to go more toward wanting to go with, go and investigate the negative type activity. Yeah. Um, or so for me, that's not necessarily something that, that I'm seeking out. I, I do find the darker hauntings very interesting mm -hmm. uh, and I usually will cover one or two in in my seasons but uh, for me it's really telling that historical narrative and that story so I've found that some of them that I've investigated with tend to sort of like to go with that darker story yeah. and darker narrative yeah, yeah. So you post the moon phase during your investigations. What significance, if any, have you seen with moon phases in paranormal activity? You know, I, I really like to take a scientific approach to things because, because a lot of these locations I try to go back and visit more than once. Documenting the moon phase as well as temperature changes, the time of day, how many people are on the property. I always try to put that down as well as even significant temperature changes. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, you know, that a lot of the time when the moon phase changes, there can be a ramp up in activity. Um, I've also noticed that a lot of the time, um, maybe around like, in like the spring, I tend to have when it's when it's a little bit cooler, going from 
cool to warm temperature or fall going from warm to cold. Um, I've noticed mm -hmm. that there's a difference in activity there more so than like, I don't usually get a lot whenever it's really, really hot, but, uh, and then how the moon phase goes along with that, you know, really, I've just been keeping a log to see and sometimes the different locations, I don't know. I'm, I'm still really trying to figure out what that, how that haunting changes, but sometimes I do notice a difference if it's, you know, a waxing versus a waning moon, if it's, um, you know, I definitely have more activity when it's a full moon, which, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, even you, you'll even see the change in your animals yeah. and yourself. Yeah. Sometimes. Even in ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the spring and the fall, because a lot of people like myself believe that the veil gets thin at those times. Mm -hmm. So that's really, absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I've always heard that, like, as far as, you know, October is spooky month and that sort of thing, you know, and a lot of people like to investigate just for that reason. Mm -hmm. But um, I seem to feel, you know, I agree with you. I seem to think that the uh, that a lot more happens when the veil is thinner. And I think that that has a lot to do with it when it is in the spring and the fall, because uh, and I've investigated, you know, year round going to different locations. And it uh, for me, that has really made a difference. And so I try when I'm filming to actually schedule some of those locations during those seasons just for that reason. What's a normal day on the road for you while you're creating your series? Typically, when I'm putting an episode together, it takes me about three months to put an episode together. I do a lot of research and, you know, I, I try to do more in person mm -hmm. at the different historic historical societies and libraries in that area. If I can speak to either people who have experienced activity in the location or docents at that place, uh, I like to speak to them because, you know, you just get a more richer experience than you get whenever you're researching online. Yeah. And uh, so I spend a lot of time researching and writing my story uh, as far as, you know, the why I'm there. Mm -hmm. And then I get I try to get all of that together, which, again, takes a couple months before I actually go and investigate. Okay. If I can investigate multiple nights than I do, but I always kind of liken it to, you know, you get your story and script written. And then when you go to do the investigation, it's kind of like, you don't know if your actors are going to show up, you know, you <laughs> yeah. know you're going to get, you can have this, this beautiful narrative written, but then you don't know if you're going to get activity. If the location is a commercial location, then usually I'm there for, you know, full day. I try to go in during the day, like take, take photos, take kind of really take stock of the location and the situation during the daylight so that when I go back in the dark, uh, I know, you know, sort of where things are and try to account for, I guess, false positives mm -hmm. during, during the investigation. And then, you know, if it's one that I'm have the ability to spend the night at, then I'll investigate as long as I can. And then I always try to sleep a couple hours there. Mm -hmm. After, after that, you know, when, when I come back, I try to give myself boundaries on going over evidence so that I can, you know, stay within that time frame. I want to have all recorders and stuff listened to 
in a two-week period mm. and all video watched within a four-week period. Okay. So I know you had asked kind of a typical day. A lot of things when I'm doing this aren't really typical. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, so the whole process, you know, a lot of people don't realize just how long the process. Yeah, yeah. That together. And so I'll listen to all my recorders. I always have a mobile recorder on me. And then I always have recorders that if it's a larger location that I'll drop with uh, uh, battery powered cameras mm -hmm. so that I have audio and video. And once I go through all of that, I edit my episodes and uh, all of this is self-produced. Okay. So, um, yeah, so then goes into the process of putting it into all the evidence that I get, if there is any, and getting the story and everything put together into an actual video and trying to call all of that down sometimes into a 20 to 40 minute video can be a real challenge. I bet, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and still, you know, and really still be able to tell that story mm -hmm. that you're trying to put out there. Have you ever had any trouble getting permission to investigate any particular site? I've been very fortunate that uh, I have not had that problem. There have definitely been some places that I've wanted to go to, and, and I always get permission and always ask because I'm, I'm not an advocate of trespassing right. or anything like that. But uh, I've been very fortunate. You know, I always, I do two different types of locations. Um, the commercial ones that you see a lot of, of the paranormal entertainment shows putting out like, you know, Waverly Hills, the Lizzie Borden house, a lot of the larger locations. What I really like to highlight on my show are the smaller, lesser known, more localized uh, locations. You know, it's either been somewhere that I haven't really had to get permission or um, that I've really been able to go in, ask, and, and really haven't had any issues. A lot of people are really glad to share the story. And yeah, because, you know, with some of the different locations that I highlight, I always try to tell some interesting facts about the city or the travel. And, you know, and, and a lot of people in the region have actually contacted me afterwards and said, well, you know, I've driven past that location or heard about that all my life, but never really knew the story behind it. So it's really been something that has worked out really good for the area that I've, I've done or that I've highlighted because, you know, it's, it's really helped to raise awareness and get information out there about the history. It sounds like you go in very respectful and you know, they appreciate that, especially when it's about their town or, or places that they know. Absolutely. You know, like I've said earlier, the the history and the travel are first and foremost with me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the the people that I'm communicating with under my belief structure, they, they were people at one time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that there's no other way to approach it than with a respectful mindset and a respectful attitude. And I think that I've been blessed with activity in return for that purpose. Yeah. Do you still get any kind of chills when you're dealing with ghosts and hauntings or is it more like, oh, I've done this before. Here we go again. <laughs> You know, I do. There's still that adrenaline rush because I remember the very first time that I experienced a, my first EVP and actually hearing it back on the recorder. I'd always describe it as sort of that kick in the gut excitement, but also yeah. sort of 
sick feeling. <laughs> and so, you know, every time, because you just never know what's going to happen. I don't usually get scared. I mean, there, there are moments where I get startled, but when I, even when I go in there, you know, we're going in looking for activity, but even once we go in and, and start to, you know, if, if we get a disembodied voice or something knocking in response, um, I get that, that adrenaline rush that like, okay, here we go. And it's the same <laughs> thing when you play back on the recorder, it, you know, you'll hear, cause sometimes we'll hear the stuff in the moment and sometimes we won't, mm -hmm. but when you hear that voice come back on the recorder, it's just like, it's that whole, for me, it's, it's motivation to really go through and listen to everything. Cause mm -hmm. you just never know. So it never gets old. <laughs> What's the craziest experience you've ever had? Probably one of the craziest was uh, I spent the night at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. I've investigated that location on six different occasions, and on one in particular, I actually slept in the solitary confinement. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and that was definitely an experience because I was the only person investigating there, and it's, and it's a rather large complex located in Petros, Tennessee. And the hole is literally, it's literally down in a hole. Mm. And the building is off from the main complex, but it's still behind the prison walls. There was, there was four cells inside this area and it was right around, uh, I think 7.30 in the morning. And so it was pitch black. And a lot of the time, whenever these prisoners were put into this area basically they were you know given two buckets one had their food in it and uh, the other was for them to use the bathroom and when they came out they could be kept in there up to 20 something days and oh, when they goodness. came out oh it was just it was awful when they came out it was said you know their whole senses was that they weren't able to see they weren't able to really mm -hmm. walk very well because they're of the whole sensory deprivation being in that area and and it really is very dark even being seven seven in the morning and so um i slept for right around three and a half hours and got three minutes and 15 seconds of really good class a intelligent and residual EVPs. Mm. Um, I had something, you know, it, and what's interesting is, so the, the, the cots were just these little metal cots. I'd taken a sleeping bag and I actually slept really, really well. I, I guess I was just exhausted from <laughs> investigating not before. And um, I had my audio recorder as well as video recorder sitting there. And I, I went right to sleep and it started with these really heavy footsteps coming down the hall and then something stopped outside of my door and it sounds like it tells me not not wow <laughs> yes it was i mean so it was very intelligent it knew i was there it was probably really kind of surprised you know that there was this female sleeping in this this jail cell yeah. i proceeded to capture what sounded like voices talking between the cells mm -hmm. between the wall and it was really muffled you could tell they were male voices and again there were no males on the property also had you know the camera there so you could see that there was nobody that had had come in to my cell or into the area and we also got what i would consider a residual haunting 
up above on the floor above was uh, the laundry area and they had these old uh, laundry machines and now there were no there was no power in the actual prison at the time when I was staying there and you hear toward the end of my recording what sounds like the laundry the dryer going you know those doors have got that distinct metal sound and the sound of like clothes spinning and so um, you could hear the residual sound of that and then also something that was really interesting I don't know if this was I don't know if this is what this was but to me it sounded like somebody just sitting there bouncing a ball against the wall hmm. or bouncing something because you could hear it hit the floor hit the wall and then bounce back and it did it for five minutes straight oh wow so I was able to take that montage and put it together and I highlighted it in one of my episodes and that was probably some of the best EVP activity and residual plus intelligent hauntings that I've experienced in a short period of time in one area. I, I like to, if I can sleep at a location, I like to try to sleep for even, you know, just a few hours because it always seems like the activity just kind of opens up at that point. I don't know if any, if some of the spirits might be intimidated and maybe not want to talk, you know, when I'm interacting in the moment right. or what, but the, the activity always seems to be different because you put yourself in that vulnerable state mm -hmm. and it's like you just let things just happen around you as, as they normally would. So, so that's probably definitely one of the uh, most interesting experiences that I've had. And you said that was Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary? Yes, ma'am. In Petros, Tennessee. Okay. Um, that location is, it has recently opened as a tourist location. Oh. I investigated it one time after it had opened. But what was interesting about it is that, uh, so now they have a restaurant there. They make moonshine there at the prison. Mm -hmm. And then they have former prison guards come in and give people tours of the location. Ah. So as over the six times that I investigated there, it was interesting the first two they weren't doing any type of construction there it was um you know that it was closed to the public completely but they were working to get it working to get it going mm -hmm. and then after about my third time investigating there they had started with construction as far as like tearing certain buildings down outside of the prison complex they didn't really make many changes to the inside other than you know kind of cleaning it up a little bit mm -hmm. so it was interesting to see the activity and how it changed over time with more people coming more people investigating and people being there on a daily basis and opening it back up so it was interesting to see how that changed over those six experiences there so you mentioned residual haunting. Is that where kind of like energy loops, it's not so much an entity, it's just something that happened that's playing over and over again? Absolutely, okay. yes. It's, it's been really, really interesting to see some of these different locations, the, the two different types. Old South Pittsburgh Hospital is one that I experienced a lot of residual brushy. I found that a lot of the locations that that have a lot of people at them that kind of has that day-to-day -day function like mm -hmm. a hospital or the um, prison 
have a lot of that residual activity. Uh, Henry River Mill Village in North Carolina was another one. Uh, it was an old mill village that I investigated with um, Dr. Christy Sumner from Soul Sisters. Okay. We were the only two on the property. And we found there were several houses that were still standing. And we had audio recorders and video recorders in there. And we had a lot of residual day-to-day -day activity that you would think would happen inside of one of these homes. Mm -hmm. Some of the conversations, some of the sounds we got really, really proved to be residual type activity. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm very sensitive to energy. And when I was watching the episode in the shadows about what was it called? Willow's Weep, the most evil house in America. Yes. I've, yes. I felt so sick, like a pit in my stomach. And it, it did not feel that same way when I watched some of the other episodes. Like um, I watched Bleeding Mausoleum and Grand Old Lady. Yes. It made me wonder, are you ever asked to come in and cleanse places of ghosts or entities? Or is there like a paranormal investigator prime directive, don't mess with the ghosts? <laughs> you know, there, it, it, and it all depends on the team you ask. I have been asked to do that. I don't do it. For me, I don't feel it's my place. For me, typically, I'm called in. So, well, let me step back. I do, I do two different types of investigations, either residual or the um, local legend or commercial mm -hmm. if if it's obviously if it's a commercial type location no because that's you know the owners the way the owner wants to uh, use it I guess commercially right. but as far as residential I have been asked to come in and you know for me I will come in and basically investigate to see if they're getting activity, I guess, to try to debunk mm -hmm. some of what they're claiming to see if there's a logical explanation for it. And then if the homeowner is, a lot of the time, they're mostly just kind of wanting you to verify that, hey, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm, right. I really am experiencing something. Right. And, I'm not know, crazy, am I? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so when that's the case, a lot of the time it's they're they're fine with it and sometimes it's just knowing that is the the larger part of the battle but if they are truly having a dark experience or something that they're they don't want to live with i do have people that i'll get put them in contact with that uh, i feel um, is better experience with that. I, for me, I just don't really feel it's my place and I don't really have the knowledge. So it's really just knowing when to say when and passing it on to someone else that that can um, better help them with that. Yeah, I totally understand that because I'm kind of the opposite. If people come, come to me to talk to their spirits or are there spirits here I want to communicate, I'm like, that. I'm not the person. I'm the one that comes gotcha. in that when you're ready for me to tell them to get the hell out, that's me. I, I come in for that. <laughs> and okay. See, so you would be one that I would reach out to for, for that purpose. And, and that, that's really interesting, you know, cause I've talked to several people that, uh, that do that. And it, it really is a total different mindset. Yeah. A total different <laughs> responsibility. Yes. If you will. Yes, absolutely. ghosts in your house? 
let me give you a little tip. If you're going to be using smoke cleansing or really any type of cleansing, sound, etc., you want to first make sure that you have at least your front door or one of the doors in your home open, if not all of the doors. And if you can, open up all the windows in your home. You want an exit available for the spirit, the, the entity, the energy. Even if it's in the middle of winter, you need to have something open. That's one of the mistakes that I know a lot of people make is they just do cleansing and they don't open up any of their doors or windows. The other thing to keep in mind is you want to cleanse everywhere. You want to get into closets, into pantries. You want to get underneath furniture, underneath beds, up in the corners, down in the corners. You don't want to leave anything out. So just walking through your room and and putting the smoke out or using the sound or whatever you're doing doesn't necessarily get rid of everything. And so if you find that the energy is still there and you didn't really do a thorough cleansing, maybe it's time to open up the windows and doors and go through and really spend time cleansing every area. I have spent hours cleansing a small home because I was getting in all the corners, up, down, in cabinets, in closets, and Uh, And so just think about that. Think about, did you get everywhere? Did you get in all the shadows, all the cabinets, all the corners? And if you have that ghost spirit energy problem, then that might be a step that you can take on your own before you have to call someone in. So we talked about the craziest experience but what are some of the most memorable, for whatever reason, of, of experiences you've had or favorite places you've been? Oh, so many. You know, s- several of those. You know, you had mentioned the Grand Old Lady, and that's probably quickly become one of my favorite places to investigate mm. because I felt like a lot of the activity that was going on in there was really, there was there was nothing negative even though there was a homicide that happened on the property, it was more just, you know, it, you kind of got this feeling, it was sort of like a genuine hotel, you know, and just the passers-by that would come in, they they really seemed to enjoy being there. I like the story behind it. The whole investigation experience at that location was definitely somewhere that, like I said, was quickly one of my favorites. Another one I would have to say, I covered it in um, season three, episode two. It was the 1944 troop train accident. Uh, I called that one derailed. That one was really interesting as well because I investigated there during the day and I had to utilize tools other than just my recorder and just the video camera. I had to rely on more uh, audio sensitive tools, using alarms, using my dousing rods. Um, I had a really good dousing rod session, probably one of the better ones that I've had at that particular location. Hmm. I wasn't able to get to the actual troop train derailment site at that moment Mm -hmm. because it had flooded. And so you could see it, the it did have 
a plaque on the rock where the train had had derailed but you couldn't get to it because it had flooded and you actually had to kind of um, belay off this mountainside to get down there to investigate oh, wow. so it was it was really a challenge to get to and so I wasn't quite sure at first the exact spot mm -hmm. and so when I was asking questions they were able to direct me with the rods mm -hmm. to that location I had also used my spirit box because again you know you you had a lot of noise from the river that was there from the traffic that was up on the mountainside so you you couldn't really pick those evps out of the air but the only uh, words that i got from my spirit box was waterfall and uh, what was interesting about that is the, a week later i went back to the site and was able to actually hike down because the waters had receded hiked down to where the train had derailed and it was right in front of a waterfall wow yeah that was that was really cool because a lot of the time spirit boxes are can be controversial as mm -hmm. far as if it's radio frequencies and that sort of thing but i was so far up in the mountains and so far in between these two peaks that you couldn't actually hear you couldn't pick up any radio so there were no voices and then the one that did come through saying waterfall I, I thought was pretty validating and no one had ever investigated there because it it was so hard to get down to mm -hmm. and i really wanted to approach that with you know here's this uh, very tragic story that um had really been forgotten about mm -hmm. over time the only thing on the side of the road that denoted this accident i actually didn't even know about it i was just riding my motorcycle through the mountains and i saw this little white sign that said 1944 troop train accident and had a picture of binoculars oh wow yeah and there was nowhere to pull off because there was no shoulder on the road i had to actually go half a mile down the road you couldn't you couldn't even see that uh, one of the boy scout troops had put a plaque on the giant boulder that was down off the side of the mountain and the giant plaque had even washed away and so once i started researching i found that it was in the top 25 train derailments and the worst troop train accident in america it was really interesting to find all of this history and then be able to go down and you know see if there was any type of um, activity and we really approached it in a real respectful manner of showcasing each of these soldiers that had passed away in the video doing a tribute to them and really just seeing if we could get any responses that's probably definitely one of the most memorable just because it was a very touching experience yes it sounds like they were all but forgotten and you brought their story out yeah you know a lot like i said a lot of people had didn't really know about it uh few of them in the area I mean it was really just a very small mountain town uh High Cliff Tennessee mm. and right on the uh Tennessee Kentucky border up near Jellicoe Tennessee just the fact I had a lot of people after ask me well where can I see the spot I mean you can it's so grown up uh, they did see the sign but literally if you blink when you're passing by you won't see the sign yeah, wow. and uh yeah to have to hike down i mean it was 
and 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 then too to be able to do it during the day and get activity because a lot of people will ask me you know do you ever investigate in the day and i investigate both yeah and so being able to show that and kind of show something i really didn't know if I would even get any activity, but I wanted to tell this story and I wanted to investigate it in a way to where, cause I didn't really want to be down there with my motorcycle parked on the side of the road at night. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, cause it, there was, there was nobody around uh, once you hike down to the river. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was really, I, I really enjoyed being able to show that, that it doesn't always even have to be, a creepy or scary experience um, you can really learn a lot and do a lot during the day and just utilizing those different tools as well yeah most of the clearing and cleansings that I've done have been during the day and I've had some pretty interesting experiences doing that so it's definitely active during the day in some places yeah and I mean with with what you're doing I mean a lot of people don't always realize that it's like it's good to start during the day because you don't know how long that's going to take yeah you know that is so true and yeah so so yeah so you don't know how long it's going to take and then I mean some places some places that I've been have been more active during the day than during the night mm-hmm some you have to do during the night just because you may be in the middle of downtown. It may be a noisy area, you know, but I always like to have some type of light because you just, you can see the shadow figures and stuff better if you've got that ambient light rather than just complete darkness. Yeah. And I also like to be able to show if the flashlights are going off, if some tool is going off, I like for people to be able to see that look, there's nothing around. We're right. not just sitting in a dark room and somebody going up and manipulating the tools. It, for me, it helps to add to that transparency as well. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever been anywhere in South Carolina? Not investigating yet. I've been to several places in South Carolina just in traveling. Of course, Charleston, love Charleston area. But I've been to several different ones as far as traveling, but I haven't had the opportunity to investigate there yet. I hope, hope to maybe in 2021 or 2022, because I know you all have a lot of history. Oh, there. we have so, so, so many, so many places you can go to, <laughs> like the, the haunted Legree crypt where they say the little girl uh, got buried alive and you can see the scratches in the back of the, of the stone. Alice of the Hermitage is one. Um, Charleston, Beaufort, all that, all the low country is full of hauntings. And in, even mm -hmm. here in Columbia, I live outside of the capital city, Columbia, and we have hauntings as well. Kind of like the Bubba that I mentioned to you about mm -hmm. at the South Carolina State Museum. And I actually want to ask you about that because my question is how reliable are the EVP apps you put on your phone? And the reason that I want to ask you that is one of my experiences with Bubba was using one of those apps. And okay. just on a whim, I put it on my phone and I thought, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to try it anyway. And I I worked at the museum, plus I was a volunteer docent, and every October I, I give ghost tours there. And so I was walking through one day working there and I thought, okay, I've, I've put this EVP app on my phone. Let's go see if I can talk to Bubba. Because I talked to him all the time, even though I didn't hear anything from him, I would mm -hmm. tell him we appreciate him and he's famous and people come from all over to come see him. I just chatted with him all the time. So I had mm -hmm. this EVP app running 
And I was just talking again like I normally do. And there was all the static that was on the app. And I thought I heard someone talking behind the static. And so I said pretty flippantly because I'm still just being my silly self. I, so I just say, I can't hear you. All the static went away. I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. All the static went away. And a man's voice said, you're not listening. Clear as wow. day. And then all the static came back. And I was so shocked. I just ran from the area in the museum to a, co <laughs> a co-worker's office. And I was like, oh, I don't know what just happened, but you need to come over here. And it never was that clear again. But I, I still heard that man's voice one more time behind the static again. And he said, are you my wife? But when he, when I talked and I said, I can't hear you. It was immediate. You're not listening. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, that actually gives me chills. Um, you know, for me, so I have different, uh, different views on, on the apps, depending on what ones they are for myself. Most of the time I just use my regular recorder mm -hmm. or, and, you know, just get the voices out of the air or I'll use a spirit box. Um, and the spirit boxes can again, you know, be challenging with the AM FM radio. And then also that static can be, um, hard for some people to sit and listen to mm -hmm. the apps. The one thing I caution about with those is it's important to know how the app has been developed and created mm -hmm. because I know there are a couple of them that will utilize. So if they're on your phone, they'll utilize your microphone mm. and there's others that will also utilize your GPS. So whenever you're downloading the apps, a lot of the time, you know, they'll ask or you'll have to give permission yeah. for it to access certain parts of your phone. And um, it all depends on how the coding is in it. Um, like I said, there are two in particular that one of them, they do use your GPS. So if you're in a cemetery and you're asking certain questions and start to get words like, you know, gravestone or certain things that are pertinent to the location yeah. that you're at, I would be leery because it could be using your GPS okay. to on, in their word bank. The other, the other one using your microphone. I mean, we all know that Facebook and some of these different apps listen to us through our microphones because you'll be talking about something and you might get an ad yes. on, on your Facebook. Absolutely. So it's, the same, <laughs> it's the same kind of principle. If, if they utilize your microphone, it's very possible that it could be listening for keywords mm. to respond in their word bank. Um, so I always caution about that is I'm not saying that there, there are some that, that I, I don't really trust. I don't use them for that purpose because I like to know how they are, um, how they're designed and how they're coded and created. But to me, I also go and say that you can't, really limit the spirits either that you know if a spirit wants to communicate through a smoke detector yeah or through some type of white noise they can absolutely do that yeah you, know, you really can't limit them so um it's very possible that they could have been he could have been using the white noise to communicate because that is a really unique statement and i always tell people there are things happening all around us mm -hmm. and 
and there are a lot of hauntings that we actually miss because because we don't really pay attention and don't really listen yeah so yeah that very well could have been something um and i had a relationship i feel like i have a relationship with him anyway because mm-hmm. i tell his story for so many years i've told his story and it just happened so suddenly there was no pause it was just like having a conversation I, but i did delete the app off my phone after that <laughs> I'm sure. Well, you know, and sometimes that's all it takes. It's like when it happens, it's like, whoa, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's very that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> it is very interesting that he responded in that way. Did you notice anything in particular about the voice? I mean, any type of dialect or anything like that? I don't remember any type of dialect, but it was a deep man's voice and it had a very particular sound to it. I mean, it was almost like somebody had gotten on my phone from the other side of the wall and was talking to me because all that wow. all that static had gone away and it was very, very clearly a man's voice and I, and I heard it clearly. Um, so it wasn't, you know, like a metallic voice or anything weird like that. Uh-huh. It, was, it was clearly a man's voice. Wow, that's very cool. And, you know, to, to your point about, you know, having the relationship and stuff, you know, I've had uh, several instances, one in particular, that was a uh, year-long case study for me. When you go into these places, and I was going in on a weekly basis, really about any time that I wanted to, you really do start to develop a relationship with these spirits Um, you know they were calling my name and speaking specifically to me on different Facebook lives and during different times that I would go in and do experiments and I think that that happens a lot you know especially you know some of the different docents and different people that are involved at these locations telling these stories they really do form a bond or a relationship with these spirits. Yeah, and I'd actually seen him with my eyes um, several years before, dressed just like, I I don't know of anyone that's actually seen him. I've talked to a lot of different people, but people have experiences with him year after year, even before it was a museum. It's an old cotton mill. Wow. Uh But I was in costume because I'm a costumed interpreter And so I was standing up there near where his area is and I looked over and, and he was there. He was there in overalls, black and white checked shirt. I went running after him because he disappeared as he walked past. It was an area with Victorian morning um, items Uh like hair jewelry and that kind of creepy stuff. (laughs) Uh I thought someone was playing a trick on me since I do all the ghost tours. And so I went running throughout the whole museum and there was nobody on the floor except for a couple of docents way on the other side of the of the fourth floor. So I, I saw him and no one else really talks about seeing him. They talk about other experiences. So I don't know, maybe because I did honor him, he mm-hmm. was closer to and, and allowed me to have more experiences. I don't know. That's really interesting. And, and those are the type of, of stories that I like you know, to share and stuff in my episodes, you know, you, you mentioned, um, in the shadows and stuff when we were Mm -hmm. talking a few minutes ago and the, the way you felt with that energy, 
there have been several people that have mentioned that exact same feeling. Oh, wow. And, you know, from, um, there were so many different stories that came out of that location that it, it was hard to know for me, which, which was embellished on and which were actually truths. Yeah. But the one main thing with that location was that same, just oppressive, painful type energy. And I had uh, the, the lady that was with me, she is one that she feels energy a lot. And we were both sitting there talking about the pain. It was probably one of the most painful investigations. Like we would sit there and, and we would just start hurting, like mm -hmm. hurting in our shoulder. Yeah hurting in our stomach. And so, you know, I think that um, our experience that we experienced there was a lot different than some of these other, do I, do I believe it was the most evil location in America? I don't. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's oppressed and misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Now that now I'm not taking away anything from any other investigators that have had there because I feel like intentions you go in with and, right. and um, different things, can kind of shape your experience. But this one for us was a more emotional and just, I don't know, just very emotional, very oppressed. And I almost felt like, because both she and I had, in this past year, had gone through some different losses, you know, with family members and that sort of thing. I think we were able to sort of empathize oh, yeah. and had a much different, I guess, experience than what some of the others because I know I'd spoken with several different people who had gone in there that had had different experiences more more dark troubling type mm -hmm. and I think that because we sort of honored them and gave them their space mm -hmm. to communicate in the way they wanted without going in with that preconceived notion right of going into this dark evil location I think that we were able to get some of the experiences that we got there even though it seemed like they didn't really want to interact directly with us yeah. that's why we went outside because we felt like you know maybe they just didn't want to speak directly for whatever reason mm -hmm. I think when you go into an environment with those preconceived notions and you're saying, oh, I, this place is the most haunted and evil place. You go in there and those ghosts are like, okay, yeah, we are. Let me show you what we can do. I completely agree with that. And, you know, and that's why this one was, so, you know, this one and Revenant Acres uh, in Indiana, they were both in Indiana. And that's why I was very interested in those two locations because they had this reputation mm -hmm. of being like that, but it was more so I wanted to go in and, and, and the stories were all sort of, some of them were kind of contradictory and that sort of thing. So I really just wanted to go in and see what these locations had to show rather than going in and challenging or even really addressing yeah. the dark history that was supposed to be in there. So, and I think that that's kind of, I mean, cause we slept in there and several different teams that I had spoken with, they were like, I wouldn't even stay in there. You know, when so, I was watching it, I saw y'all putting out those cots and I thought, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. It, was, it was very, it was a, that was a very strange location. Like I said, just with all the stories 
that that surrounded everything that was was mm. happening in there yeah you know we really didn't know what we were going into but once we got in there it was just so quiet and just just real sad mm. you know and and i normally don't even get really emotional during investigations and I didn't show it with this one but I did speak about it when I was speaking on my live afterwards that both she and I ended up getting emotional while we were there and talking and just the whole night until we left the property we were just real just real sad you know yeah so I've seen that you also are an artist and um, you have drawn Uh, pictures of different places you've gone. You're also a photographer. So tell us about your art. You know, I'd mentioned the photography earlier. That's, you know, kind of how all this started Mm -hmm. was by photographing the different locations. Um, I've been an artist all my life as well. And I like to draw the different haunted and historic locations that I go to. And usually when I go, if, if it's a location that, for instance, like the mausoleum, that was the first one that I did. I draw the location and I always try to give a copy to the um, location owner or place Mm -hmm. that I'm going to. Yeah. And to present that as a gift for them letting me come into their location. Um, I've also, I have not highlighted this on any of my episodes because I feel like this is sort of a special gift I guess between myself and the spirits that that I'm with but I will also sometimes do I call it subconscious sketching Mm -hmm. but it's also but it's really kind of like automatic writing if you've heard of that yeah I use it okay so sometimes when I go into these locations if I'm just sitting there and being in the location I'll kind of start to see different things but it's more or less seeing features yeah And so out of five different occasions, on three occasions, I was able to draw something and match it up with someone from the location. Oh, okay. And it was was really interesting. I'll give you an example of one that I did, and I've actually spoken about this at several different events and paracons that I've done. Uh, I was up at the Octagon Hall house in Franklin, Kentucky, which is a uh, Confederate error house and the the family was confederate soldier sympathizers and so i was investigating and i was investigating in the downstairs kitchen and so i thought i'm gonna try try drawing and i'd only been doing this for a very short period of time because i thought you know i'm seeing these things and i'm an artist why don't i try drawing what i see Mm -hmm. so i set a bunch of tools out like the k2 meter flashlights, spirit box, EDI box, multiple ways for the spirits to be able to communicate. I set those out. And when I would start to see different features, I would ask, you know, I'm seeing kind eyes, you know, I'm seeing high cheekbones. I would would never see a full face or a full uh, feature. And so when I would start to ask these things, I would ask for the equipment to light up to, to kind of va- validate what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. So I ended up drawing a man that I thought might be a slave trader or a uh, soldier. He was wearing a floppy hat and had a, a thick beard, very kind eyes, high cheekbones. And so I had drawn this and it was a part of a two night investigation. So the next day when I came back to the location, 
um, this was when I was a member of the team, the co-founder of the team hollered for me uh, during equipment setup and said, hey, I think there's someone you need to meet. And I went around the corner and there was the man that I just drew. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I had a picture of myself and him. He was even wearing the same floppy hat. Oh, wow. Come to find out, uh, his name is Barry Gaunt and he is, uh, he is with Night Stalkers Paranormal and they are the home team at that location. And so what I kind of figured, I had never met him, but he would spend, you know, about every day at this location Mm -hmm. researching the facility. And so what I, you know, when I sit down with the spirits to, to do this, I always tell them, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing. And it's like, you know, uh, it would be an honor if, you know, if, if you would show me, you know, I would like to have, I'd like to be able to draw something that I can identify Mm -hmm. either by picture. So if it's you or if it's someone, you know, um, it would be an honor if, if you would be willing to, to show me that. I think in my mind, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I'm going to sit down with the owner of the location and we're going to go through some pictures and see. I think that they showed me Barry because he, they have such a good relationship with him. Yeah, that makes you sense. Know. That's really incredible. Yeah. yeah, so that happened on an occasion, and there have been a couple more. One of them was in a church uh, I had drawn, and I asked the, uh, we were investigating that, and I asked the pastor if he would just preach a sermon. I was going to sit in the sanctuary there and draw, and I ended up drawing drawing a child, and they instantly knew um, this child had passed away in a uh, four-wheeler accident right outside the church. And we ended up going across the road to the cemetery. And they even had a picture of him on his stone. Uh-huh. And, <clears throat> I mean, it was matched up perfectly from the glasses to the hair. Uh-huh. And, you know, in my mind, both times, the first time I thought I might be drawing a, a slave woman. And then the second time in the church I was thinking that I might be going to draw an older man well to me it just goes to show don't go in with any preconceived notions because this will blow that out of the water you know (laughs) and um you know and and like I said I never know what I'm drawing when I'm when I'm doing it and most of the time I'm even doing it kind of in the dark by candlelight or pen light and so I haven't highlighted anything like that on my season because again I feel like it's something that is kind of a special communication between myself and the spirits. And I don't really want to necessarily put that out there. I will speak on it, but it's been, it's been really cool to be able to use that talent in another way. And I'm still really trying to kind of hone that in and figure out really how to use that between being able to do that and then drawing these locations. I feel like spending, you know, six hours sitting there really looking at the detail and studying these locations really helps to kind of create this bond and really kind of get focused on that investigation, if you will. Well, I think that you're very talented. I saw your your um, drawings and you're extremely talented. And then to, to have this beautiful spiritual gift to connect to, you know, the beyond and to to have the ability to also be a wonderful artist. I just think that that is just such 
a beautiful gift. Whether you oh, share you. it with anyone or not, it's a beautiful gift. It, it really is. It's, it's something that, you know, and, and I appreciate your kind words. It's, it's really something that I do feel is a, is a true gift, mm -hmm. um, that I am just blessed to be able to have. And I want to be able to use that in different ways to be able to honor the spirit and honor the location. You know, it's, it's been really cool to be able to connect and find, find that way because to, to be able to, use that talent and again you know present the owner with with the drawing or and and that's also how i fund my travel and stuff is through the sale of the prints mm -hmm. that i do okay. is um yeah so i use that to actually fund the travel to go to these different locations because you know i don't I don't get paid to investigate or anything mm -hmm. like that. I don't monetize my videos. So I use that as, as um, a way to be able to kind of keep the whole thing going yeah. as well. So I think that in everything that you do, there's just so much honor and respect. And I respect that from you. So it's, it has oh, been such a joy to have you talking about this. So where do we find you online? Is there a place to buy your Ghost Biker merch or your artwork? Absolutely, yes. You can purchase Ghost Biker merch from my website on www.ghostbikerexplorations.com. That's got all three seasons as well as different lives that I've done. And it's got the merchandise, it's got the drawings. And there will hopefully be more drawings added here at the first part of the year. And then I'm also very active on Facebook and YouTube, and those are under the Ghost Biker Explorations name. And I like Facebook because I'm able to really connect with the people yeah. that uh, watch the episodes and the locations, hear their stories, that sort of thing. But people can definitely go back and watch all three seasons and then anything that I've got coming up in the future. And they can also on uh, Instagram follow uh, my photography under Runaway Vixen. All right, listeners, so you know where to find Miranda on Facebook. You know where to go to buy the Ghost Biker merch to find her artwork. So I hope that you go and you follow her. You watch her series right now. It's been just so wonderful to have you. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I've been looking forward to it, and I just always enjoy any opportunity that I can to sit down and speak with, you know, other folks that are interested in the paranormal and, and that do what you do. So thank you. It's It's been a real honor. The honor is definitely ours, all the listeners and myself. Well, everyone, thank you for being here with us, and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.